Today I am sharing our scripture reading from a brand new translation of the New Testament. It is called the First Nations Version, and it is an indigenous translation of the New Testament. I um, ordered it many months ago and just received it due to paper shortages. Um, it is a fascinating and beautiful work of faith and art. Uh, it's, it was put together by a translation council with representatives from countless uh, tribes of the Americas. And there's involvement with both uh, um, those in south of the Canadian border and as well as uh, Canadian indigenous peoples. Uh, it, it is in English because so many of those uh, native languages have been lost uh, due to um, the banning of speaking and teaching those, um, those languages. Uh, I, I highly recommend um, taking a look at either my copy or finding one for yourself. Uh, it, it's very beautiful and it's relevant to everyone who lives in the Americas as we even now our odd land that was once populated by native peoples. And so the words today will sound familiar, but different. One of the things, um, it's not in our, our particular reading today, but um, one of the traditions that was upheld in this translation that names are often, people are given a, a name that describes their, their most authentic core spirit. So Jesus becomes creator sets free. Um, God is the great spirit. So there's, again, it's a wonderful translation that I'm only just beginning to know. And so I'm grateful to share this with you. And so I invite you to listen deeply and hear these words from the Gospel of Luke as interpreted by the indigenous translators of this scripture. Hear me, you who are listening now. I am telling you to love your enemies. Do good to the ones who look down on you. Return blessing for cursing and send up good prayers for the ones who give you trouble and pain. If someone slaps you on the side of your face, Show the strength of your heart and offer the other side. In the same way, if a thief takes your coat, offer your shirt also. When someone in need asks, do not hold back. Do what you can to help. If someone takes what is yours, let them keep it. Here is another way to see what I am saying. Help others in the same way you would want them to help you. Where is the honor in only showing love to the ones who do the same for you? Why should you be given respect for doing good to the ones who do you good or for lending only to the ones who can repay you? Even tribal tax collectors and outcasts do these things. Instead, show love and respect 
to your enemies. Help them when they are in need without asking them to repay you. This will show that you are children of your Father from above, for he is kind and takes pity on the ones with bad hearts, even when they do not thank him for it. So then, show kindness to others in the same way as your Father, the Great Spirit. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have to tell you, you've pretty much already heard the sermon. I said the same thing to the children that I'm going to say to you, but now you get to hear me say it again longer. For the last several weeks, I have been gathering on Thursday evenings with a thoughtful group of church members and friends to discuss a book by Frederick Christian Bauerschmidt called The Love That Is God. I first read this book during my sabbatical, and I loved it so much, I pretty much haven't stopped talking about it since. You might have already heard me go on. One reviewer said that the book made him want to become a Christian all over again. My own review is this. That book has made me love God more fervently and love my neighbors more earnestly. In just five short chapters, Bauerschmidt, who apparently goes by Fritz to his friends, takes the reader through a, a series of simple yet profound statements of the Christian faith. God is love. The love that is God is crucified love. We are called to friendship with the risen Christ. We cannot love God if we do not love each other. And we live out our love from the community created by the Spirit, otherwise known as the Church. The Gospel teaching for today, with its teachings on loving enemies and blessing those who curse us, is a central part of the chapter about how loving one another is essential to loving God. Fritz is honest about how challenging this is. He writes, Christian teaching on forgiveness and love of enemies is in some ways both the most attractive aspect of Christianity and the most repellent. We like the idea of being forgiven, whether by God or by those whom we have hurt. We might even like, in theory, the idea that we can be like God by forgiving others without reserve. We like it, that is, until we begin to think about who our enemies are and what they have done. We like it as long as we can keep the enemy an abstract, unspecified enemy. But the memory of specific harms inflicted on us and 
on those we love can block the flow of forgiveness. And in some ways, it should. For while we may be free to forgive the harm our enemies have inflicted on us, are we equally free to forgive the harm inflicted on those whom we love? Is it not a violation of divine justice to let evil people off the hook for the evil they have done, whether to us or to others? What sort of God would demand such a thing? A belief in the impossibility or wrongness of forgiving enemies who may have harmed those whom we love may be the best possible reason to reject the Christian faith. To reject such forgiveness as possible at all is to reject the faith that love can be without boundaries, which is to reject faith in a God whose very nature is love. To reject such forgiveness as a possibility for human beings is to reject the faith that unbounded love has become human flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ becoming the crucified love that even on the cross prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To reject such forgiveness as morally wrong is to reject the faith that the Holy Spirit calls us to be friends of the risen Jesus, loving what he loves, forgiving what he forgives. Jesus' teachings on love of enemies and forgiveness of wrongdoers may lead us to say, as some erstwhile followers of Jesus said in a different context, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? If that is the case, then at least we are rejecting the authentic heart of the Christian faith and not some distorted cultural image of it that presents Christians as believing in a self-interested God, or seeing the cross as a source of guilt, or seeing our relationship to God as a transactional one. And yes, that was all a quote from my new friend Fritz. You're lucky I'm not just reading the whole book to you. The night that our book study discussed this section, we talked at length about how profoundly difficult it would be to forgive the worst sort of abuse, violence, and sin that human beings can perpetuate against one another. We marveled at public stories of seemingly impossible forgiveness, such as when the family members of the victims killed at Mother Emanuel Church forgave the white supremacist who pulled the trigger. We acknowledged with humble hearts that we might not have had the same capacity to forgive. But I also talked about this passage from Luke with a few church members in light of the polarization in our culture about politics, and more specifically, the polarization in our culture about COVID. 
and COVID protocols. To be clear, believing that children should or should not wear masks in school is not the worst sort of sin that human beings can perpetuate against one another. You would almost not know it from the anger and acrimony between these opposing camps, both nationally and in our own community. Recently, Father James Martin, a Jesuit priest, wrote about the rise of schadenfreude during this stage of the pandemic. Schadenfreude is the German word for the joy one takes in the suffering of another. Father Martin is clear that while he wholeheartedly supports vaccination and masking as acts of love to protect self and neighbor, he sees schadenfreude on both sides of these COVID arguments, and he does not like it. He writes, this welter of strong feelings can be disorienting. We see someone resisting vaccines or masking, which frustrates us thus endangering others, which angers us, perhaps even endangering ourselves, which frightens us, and then dying, which should sadden us, but some of us are horrified to discover doesn't. Feeling vindicated, vindicated by someone's death seems immoral, but it also seems reflexive, human, but crowing over someone's suffering or demise is as far from a moral act as one can imagine. It's cruel. Indulged in regularly, schadenfreude ends up warping the soul. It robs us of empathy for those with whom we disagree. It lessens our compassion. Every day, I read or hear another story that breaks my heart. Our culture is getting meaner. There is more road rage. There is more disrespect. There is more bullying. And I don't just mean in the halls of our schools. There is more bullying amongst adults with fully formed brains who should know better. A friend of mine recently published an unpopular opinion in a newspaper of record. They were shattered by the volume and viciousness of the hate mail that poured in. And sadly, the vast majority, majority of it was from Christians who felt entirely justified to attack. So often, you would never guess that Christians follow a teacher who said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Perhaps this is even more obvious than the truism that God is love. But I'm going to say it anyway. We cannot control what other people say and do. We only get to determine 
our own actions. We might very well have strong emotions well up when our enemies do us or our loved ones harm. But they are supposed to know we are Christians by our love. We do not get to clap back with cruelty and walk away feeling righteous. As Frederick Christian Bauerschmidt said, this is so hard. It is actually one of the few excellent reasons to walk away from Jesus. It is straight up bananas. That's a theological term. And it's probably impossible. But you know what? We still don't get off the hook because we are not being asked to do this alone with our own half-hearted will and faltering determination. We have the witness of Christ and we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. As I said to the children, we have the power of prayer to soften our hard hearts and strengthen our resolve. If you can't yet pray for the enemy who makes your blood boil, pray for the ability to pray for them. If you can't pray for the ability to pray for them, pray for the ability to pray for the ability to pray for them. Whatever you do, take this as seriously as you take anything else in your life. It has always been the authentic heart of our faith, and it has never been more crucial. I will leave you with one more quote from the love that is God. To love our enemies is to renounce the idea that we have it in our power to make history turn out right, to end all suffering, to banish all evil. To love our enemies is, in the end, to disarm ourselves of any weapons except the cross and the Spirit's gift of faith, hope, and love. Friends, these are enough. Indeed, these are everything. May it be so. Amen.